open to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, and we'll be reading the first 12 verses. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Amen. We'll end our reading there in verse 12 of Proverbs chapter 3. Let's briefly ask for God's help in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we give you thanks today that we have this opportunity to gather in memory of our dear sister, Vivian. We thank you for her life. We thank you for her legacy. We thank you for the blessings she received that we've heard about in the obituary, Lord. We thank you that she was born into a church-going, God-fearing family. We thank you that she was brought up to study your word, to memorize the Heidelberg Catechism, to not only go to church, but to actively participate to serve, to help out as need arose. We thank you for the many ways that she did these things. And we thank you for the many ways that she was a blessing, Lord, receiving your goodness, but then also communicating that, sharing that with other people, with her family, with her church family, with those around. Lord, we praise you for the life of Vivian. We praise you for the ways that it highlights your grace, and your goodness. We praise you that as we think about her, we have happy memories. We have much for which to give thanks. And now, Lord, we pray that as we come to your word, you would open our minds and hearts that we might understand and that we might receive the comfort held forth to us even in a time of sorrow by the great and wonderful truths of your word. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3 is a little bit of an unusual passage for a funeral service. The Ebenezer congregants who are here might be inclined to chalk that up to my own idiosyncrasies, known for choosing unlikely or out-of-the-way passages. But on this one, I disclaim responsibility. This was one of Vivian's favorite passages, and her daughters suggested it to me for this occasion. But there's a good reason for that. There's a good reason it was one of Vivian's favorite passages, and there's a good reason to read and to reflect upon it this morning. Now, Proverbs is not usually one of the best-known books in the Bible. We don't usually read it straight through. We maybe dip in here or there, get a nugget of practical wisdom, and keep moving, so one of the first things to do when approaching Proverbs is just to very briefly review what is this book actually all about? What place does it have within the Bible 
as a whole. And to do that, we need to understand basically two things. We need to understand the situation to which Proverbs was addressed, but then we also need to understand what kind of a book it is. Well, what kind of a book is Proverbs? Well, when we think of Proverbs, we think of things like waste not, want not, or a stitch in time saves nine, picking up on the seamstress theme with Vivian, right? Or something along those lines. That's close. That's in the ballpark. What Proverbs mostly has is a little bit longer than that, a little bit more detailed than that. Most of the Proverbs have at least two lines, and one line will say something, and then line two will give a reason for it, or will give a contrast to it, or will expand upon the thought a little bit more. So they're longer than your average folk proverb, but they also have a structure. They also have a shape within the book. And the book opens with a series of longer discourses, not just individual snippets of advice, but longer speeches, and they're directed from a royal father from King Solomon to his son. Well, why is Solomon writing a book of advice for his son? Well, this son is going to take over the kingdom. This son is going to be responsible for building the house, the lineage, the dynasty, of David. And that's not just any political dynasty. This is a fulfillment of God's covenant promise. This is how the kingdom of God is supposed to come. So these proverbs are quite important. They're not detachable from their historical context. They're not limited to it. But when we put them in context, we understand Solomon is investing a great deal in his son because Solomon is preparing for the future of the kingdom of God. Well, that puts a little bit of a different spin on what is being said here. Now, then remember the situation of Israel under King Solomon. They've entered the promised land. They've enjoyed some political stability. They've enjoyed peace from their enemies. They have enjoyed unparalleled prosperity under Solomon. They have been rising in the scale of world opinion if you want to put it in those terms, people came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And yet there are problems in Israel, as you can see if you think about the history after Solomon died. The kingdom is divided. It breaks into two. There's an end to political stability. There's an end to peace. And the long history that comes afterwards is largely a series of disasters interrupted by unexpected mercies from God to the people who had received these many blessings, to the people who had a rich legacy, a wonderful inheritance, a land God had promised, the law God had given, the worship God had instituted, and all of the promises of God's covenant. To those people, it was necessary to give careful, detailed instruction with words like goads that sink into your mind like a nail and cannot easily be removed. Because the tendency, even of people in that fortunate circumstance, in that blessed situation, was to take the good things for granted, to attribute their success to themselves, to think that things went well because they were good people. And in that way, to grow indifferent, to grow hard-hearted, to grow self-reliant instead of looking to the Lord. And in that way, 
to invite disaster. So part of the purpose of the book of Proverbs is to teach us how do we lay claim to our inheritance as members of the covenant and people of God? How do we lay hold of the blessings of the kingdom of God for us? How do we avoid those things that would draw us away from what God has given to us, from the inheritance that we have received? Well, you notice the danger of that. How does the chapter open? My son, forget not. Don't forget. He reminds him. He asks him to remember because forgetting is always a danger. Another way is we look to ourselves instead of looking to the Lord. That's why you need the admonition. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean. Lean not on your own understanding. We have a tendency to think that we can figure everything out, that we can do it all ourselves. We have a tendency to be wise in our own eyes. And that doesn't end well. We're not wise. We're not as smart as we think. We do need help. We do need grace. We do need God's blessing. And so because of the reality that you can be given a rich inheritance, but not know how to use it, not know how to take advantage of it, not know how to enter into the possession and enjoyment of it, because there's these dangers of being forgetful, of being wise in your own eyes, Solomon writes these Proverbs to his son and we get to overhear. We get to listen and follow along as he speaks to his son in this way. Now, there's six different instructions in the section that we've read and I'm not going to look at all six. We need to abbreviate a little bit for the sake of time. But I'd like to draw out from this total passage three words, or in one case it's a pair of words, that I think really speak to the value that Vivian found in this passage, that really tie in with the theme of her life, and that hopefully are also very relevant for us as well. There's the general opening to remember, to observe the law, the instruction that we've been given. And then in verse 3 he says this, let not mercy and truth forsake thee. And that's the first word or pair of words that I want to look at. Mercy and truth. What is mercy? Well, mercy is favor that's shown to those who don't deserve it. Mercy is steadfast loving kindness. Mercy is another word for grace or grace considered from a different point of view. And there's two ways to take that. Don't let mercy forsake you. Well, don't forget your need of mercy. Don't forget that we are all conceived and born in sin. Don't forget that apart from the grace of God, we are hateful and hating one another. We are deserving of wrath and condemnation. Don't forsake mercy because mercy is your only hope. Don't forsake truth because God has made great promises, and God is always faithful in keeping his promises. But he does want those promises to be believed. He does want those promises to be taken seriously, to enter into our hearts and to guide and shape our behavior. So don't forsake mercy and truth in the sense that you remember your need of God's mercy, 
you remember that you stand by God's faithfulness and not by your own merits. But if you do that, of course, there's another way in which to take those words as well. And that is, don't forsake the practice of mercy. Don't forsake the practice of truth, of uprightness, of honesty, of square dealing in your actions towards others. Don't be harsh. Don't be exacting. Don't be severe. Be generous. Be forgiving. As you've received mercy, show mercy to others also. And keep your promises. Be faithful. Those two ways of taking mercy and truth, I think, ought to be held together. You're not going to be a merciful and truthful person, ultimately, unless you know the value of the mercy and truth of God shown to you. There's another word to highlight here, and that is the word trust in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's a contrast there between leaning on your own understanding or being wise in your own conceit, in your own opinion. This is an acknowledgement that we do need God. This is an acknowledgement that we are not sufficient. We are not adequate by ourselves for the challenges that life poses. We need God's direction. We need God's help. We need God's favor. We need his assisting mercy every day. And it's emphasized, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Think not what I want, but what does God want? Look to him for guidance and direction. And all of that flows out of trust. If you don't know who God is, how can you possibly trust him? If you have an idea of God, but you think of God as remote, as distant, as indifferent, as uninvolved, how could you trust him? If you, you think of God as waiting around for an excuse to be mad and to vent his anger, how could you trust him? Those are not the characteristics of a trustworthy person. If you know somebody like that in your own life, odds are you don't trust them. If they're indifferent, if they're bored by you and everything that relates to you, or if they're hostile and just looking for an excuse to let that hostility fly, you don't trust them. You don't trust them at all. Well, how can you trust in the Lord? Well, remember where we started. What are his characteristics? What are his qualities? Mercy and truth. He is deserving of trust. And that is brought to a very clear point towards the end of this passage. In verse 12, when we read, Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. Even as a father, the son in whom he delights. What are the qualities of the Lord? It's mercy, it's truth, but it's more than that. It's also love. Now, it's important to see that in a couple of ways. One is, if you just read this passage and stopped in verse 10, you might think that what was being said to you is, be a good, upright, God-fearing person and everything will go well. You'll have a long life, You'll have favor and good understanding or good success. You'll have God's direction. You'll have good health. You'll have abundance. There will be material increase as well. And you can find evidence for that in verse 2, in verse 4, in verse 6, in verse 8, and in verse 10. It sounds like Solomon is saying to his son, do the right thing, keep my laws, and everything will go well. But then you come to verse 11. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. It's a little bit more complicated than that, isn't it? 
Now, it's certainly true that following the instruction that God gives us has a tendency to lead to a good life. I think you can see that illustrated in the case of Vivian. She did follow the Lord's instructions, not perfectly, of course we know that, but genuinely, sincerely, perseveringly, and by and large, she would say this to me, she would say, I've had a good life, I've been richly blessed. She knew she hadn't earned that by the way she had behaved, but she also wasn't denying the connection between honest behavior, merciful behavior, upright behavior, and things going well. But then Vivian's life also included trials, didn't it? It included hardship. One of the recent hardships, of course, was the tragic loss of her brother to a vehicular accident. There were her bouts with cancer, where she had cancer, and then she had cancer again. That was not easy. There were things that she could laugh about afterwards, like getting lost in an almond orchard or being forgotten inside the MRI machine. But at the time, they were not very funny. Not to her, anyway. There were trials. There were difficulties. And so it's such a relief to come to verse 11 and find out the fact that there's difficulties in our life or in Vivian's life don't mean that we're doing everything wrong. This is expected. There are hardships. There are difficulties. The Lord is training us. He's disciplining us to be the kind of people that we need to be. Why? Because he's vengeful? Because we've managed to make him mad? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. To put it very bluntly, why did Vivian have cancer? Because the Lord loved her. He carried her through it. He gave her the grace to respond to that with trust. I'm not saying she didn't have any ups and downs about it, but what was the overall current? What was the tendency of her response to that? It was to trust in the Lord, to know that what God ordained was right. Well, how can we possibly have confidence in a loving, a merciful, a truthful, a faithful God who is worthy to be trusted? Well, Proverbs doesn't tell you this part, but those words, as a father corrects the son in whom he delights, that might make us think of one particular father, and one particular son. It might make us think of God the Father speaking from heaven and saying about Jesus Christ, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And yet having that beloved son learn obedience by the things that he suffered. Where is the proof of the mercy, of the love of God? It's found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in his perfect life of obedience to God's law on our behalf in his sacrificial death for sinners where he substitutes himself in their place and takes the punishment they deserve, in his victorious resurrection over death that gives us hope that as Vivian belonged to Christ, as she found her comfort in life and in death, in the reality that she was not her own but belonged to her faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, as Vivian enjoyed that confidence, we enjoy that confidence too. Because Christ not only is real, not only lived, not only died, but also rose 
again. He was delivered over for our offenses and raised again for our justification. That's the comfort. That's the hope. And that's the proof that God is worthy to be trusted in all our ways, in every day of our lives, from the first moment we can think about it to our very last breath. God is faithful to his people, and God was faithful to Vivian. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderfully good advice, the sound direction that it contains. Help us, O oh Lord, today, not to be wise in our own opinion, but to receive your word, to take it into our hearts, to know that even the hard things that come, come from the hand of a loving God. And so, Lord, may we trust you in all our ways. In Jesus' name we pray.